Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. Dave and Jacqueline bring you up close and personal to the innovators, contributors, and creative minds in and around technology today. Visit their website at www.technologyexpresso.com. There you will find their broadcast with guests from all across the technology spectrum, their social media handles, and related content. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Technology Expresso. We're so excited to have our guest here today. We have John Gosser with us, who is going to be talking to us about his wide spectrum of experience across technology. But first, let me introduce my co-host, Dave Blackman. Hi, Dave Blackman here. We are fresh back from the BDPA conference, and we've shared a lot of the footage from our conference visit there. So we want you to visit our archives at technologyexpresso.com. And know that if you have questions today, you can dial in at 714-888-7506 and press 1 to be in our call-in queue. Or if you're shy, you can also tweet us your questions. We're at sign techxoradio. And you can lastly email us at technologyexpresso at gmail.com. So we look forward to engaging you this evening. But without further ado, I want to welcome our guest. Hello, John. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, We appreciate you spending some time with us this evening. Um, You have had a lot of success, and so we are very Excited to have you on the show. Let us, I would like you to tell us your story. Tell us even, start us back to how you even got into technology. Because I looked a little bit at your biography, and you didn't actually start out in technology. So take us through your journey. Sure. So um, I guess when I was a kid, I, I always thought I was going to be a comic book artist, actually. Um, I loved uh uh, superhero storytelling um, and that sort of thing that ultimately led me when I was um, uh, going to college to study um, film at Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia. Uh, my goal was to become a film director. By that point, I'd moved beyond comics and wanted to make uh, movies. Um, but I had always been a, a technologist as well. It's, the only difference was I grew up never knowing that tech was a career choice. I had a computer. Uh, my mom bought our first computer when I was uh, 10, an IBM PS1. Uh, and we didn't have the instruction manual. No one in my uh, first sphere of friends really knew computers well. Certainly none of my friends did. And so I had this machine that I didn't understand, and I wanted to learn. Um, it, it kind of began by breaking it. Uh, then it uh, uh, evolved to fixing the things that I broke, and then it evolved to wanting to do uh, more productive things using uh, computers. And I guess a couple of years later was when the Internet went mainstream, um, and that opened up a whole new world of kind of self-learning. I was able to ask questions of experts online and, and kind of experience this, this peer learning culture that I uh, before was shut off from because 
where I grew up, there's just computers weren't a thing. And so ultimately, um, it wasn't until college when I was at film school that I took a graphic design course and, you know, it was all on Photoshop. And so, you know, I was like, uh, you know, during the course of that uh, class, I met uh, several young technologists who were coming in to speak about what they did for a living. And I was like, wait a minute, I've been doing this stuff my entire life. You mean there's people who get paid to work with uh, code and, 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 and the like? And so that led me to explore computer careers. And then many years later, after getting burnt out working in the entertainment industry, I decided to go into tech full-time. Very cool, very cool. And, and, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of messages there. And we kind of hear a reoccurring theme that a lot of people in technology, they like to break things. Um, so that, that's ironic. But at the same time, you, you break them in order to fix them. And I know that one of your own philosophies is um, you, you learn more from your, your mistakes. Um, and, the, you know, that, that's part of the, the learning process and growing process. That, that's actually one of the first quotes that, uh, as I started to follow you and on your blog, that that really attracted to me to you is that, that, that kind of common theme about, you know, just kind of getting out there and trying things. Um, but, but, again, the, the Absolutely. other message, like, your, like yourself, there's a lot of young people who don't realize all the different opportunities and how fun uh, IT, the, solution, uh, the solutioning part of it is, and that there is kind of a relationship even between the arts and technology, and, and that's why people starting to include arts when we talk about STEM, also including the arts. And, and your uh, example, too, coming from kind of that, uh, you know, liberal arts and film background, but now you've, you've found a passion for, for technology. And, and technology, we're, we're lucky to have you because you've done, in just a short period of time, um, you've made quite a name for yourself. Um, I mean, you've been named as one of the ten African tech voices to follow on Twitter by CNN, one of the 25 most influential African Americans in technology by Business Insider. Um, so a, a lot of different accolades, and that's why I named the show. When John Gosser speaks, people listen. Um, and, and so take us through this kind of phenomenal uh, experience you've had and uh, notoriety, and a lot of it started with the, the, the TED Fellowship. But, but take our audience through that. Um, well, before, before I do that, I want to go back to something you touched upon, which is um, talking about um, kind of the, the connection between arts and technology. I think that's something that's not talked about enough. Um, one of the challenges with getting young people into tech is that when you think about how, uh, you know, in, in communities where tech isn't very prevalent, um, when you look at the difference between how, you know, we're trying to change the picture, and when you look at other communities where, where it's just much more prevalent and it's not really a problem, the, there's a big difference in how we're trying to indoctrinate youth about technology. You know, in our communities, we're like, this is going to be jobs, it's, it's STEM, it's like you need to know this for, for your future. In, in other communities, it's more of a culture. It's not so much, you know, you need to learn this because. It's, it's just appreciated, and it's, 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 it's technology that's uh, around and accessible to kids to experiment, to play, to break things, to learn. Um, and I think that's something that we need to do more of um, if we really want to get, uh, you know, minority communities, the Latin and the black communities, uh, youth more appreciative of technology. It's not necessarily just about jobs. It's also just about a love and a genuinely um, – curiosity about tech that, uh, you know, it has to be nurtured from an early age in order for you to be able to appreciate it and choose it as a career and be successful at it at a later age. So, I mean, that's just something that I really feel um, uh, is missing sometimes from the discussion. And so it's good to have shows like yours where people can be introduced to that world. Um, no, absolutely, and then going absolutely. Yeah, go go right ahead. No, I'm glad that you did kind of back up on that that point because you, you made such a, a, a profound statement there. You're, you're right, indoctrinating in the culture, even even making me kind of rethink some things as well. So, so valid point. It's not just about about jobs. So, so thank you for that. 
But but go ahead, share share some more about your path. Sure. So um, so when I so as I mentioned, I kind of so I worked in the entertainment industry for for about six or seven years. Uh, mostly as an audio engineer, which uh, if, for people who are familiar with that field, it's actually pretty technical. Um, it's one of the reasons why I was drawn to it. I was still using computers. I was just using it to produce and record music. Um, and, you know, I got really good at it, and I was told that quite frequently, and in my spare time I would make websites. So I turned a lot of my, my clients in the music world into some of my first customers for doing websites, doing graphic design, that sort of thing. Um, I launched a, a company actually in Atlanta uh, doing that kind of freelance graphic design uh, and web design, and ultimately wasn't I was freelancing, but wasn't ever really able to um, you know get things where I wanted them. Uh, I spent a lot of that time trying to teach myself how to do more. Um, so you know, graphic design is very it's it's technical and it, it blends the two worlds, tech and art. But to really be successful as a solo programmer, I was going to have to know how to program. And so, so I spent a lot of my nights while working in the entertainment industry trying to teach myself things like Ruby on Rails, Django, Python. And um, that's where I sort of cut my teeth is starting to do some of that for those entertainment clients. Then in 2008, I moved to uh, – 2008, I was with um, an ex-girlfriend of mine who was moving to – Uganda for to work for a, a charity and she was going to be there for three years and so I had a choice I could either stay in Atlanta and continue to struggle to get my tech business off the ground or I could just go to this other part of the world I had never been to and always wanted to go um, and I decided to get on the plane and I moved to Uganda and when I got there I realized that I didn't really have the same weight that I had being in America I, I could do kind of whatever I wanted I could start over again and um, so I started a technology business. This was my opportunity to do things much cheaper than it would have costed in America and um, without the stigma of, oh, well, you haven't been doing this your entire life. You must be bad at it. There, people were just amazed that there was a tech business in Africa. And so Africa was the name of that company, became one of the, the predominant companies on the continent doing the type of work that we do, which is helping multinationals enter Africa. Um, and so that ultimately led to the TED uh, uh, opportunities. Um, you know, TED is an a organization that looks for people who are doing interesting things around the world. I know that's very broad, but uh, interesting could be world-changing. It could be, you know, uh, world record could be something that's unprecedented, but genuinely something that's that hasn't been done before or is rarely seen. And what they do is um, if those people aren't already part of the TED community, um, they invite them to become what are called TED Fellows, particularly if they're younger, although the TED Fellows program is not defined by age. Um, so I was, uh, I guess someone in the TED community heard about what I was doing in Uganda. They knew about my profile. They knew how you know, unprecedented uh, what I was doing was, and I guess they invited me to be part of that network because of that. Um, and it was certainly something that helped uh, catapult uh, my career. That is, that is incredible. So, so even talk, and I'm, I'm glad you kind of laid out for some people who haven't heard of TED. Um, again, here on Tech Express, well, we want to expose people to things maybe they haven't heard about. But uh, by now, everyone needs to. If you don't know what TED is, I'm always saying Google it, find out. It, it, it's it's been quite significant. And and you, you know, back all the way back to 2009, uh, became a part of the the TED Fellowship. Um, and did, were you surprised when you were kind of, when they reached out to you and you had the opportunity, and then went on to be the the TED Senior Fellow? And, and tell how how was that significant? How was that that, that changed your impact uh, where you have been able to take that? So, so I mean, I, I love what you did there when you talked about TED. Um, I, I'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, so TED, uh, for people who aren't familiar, is TED.com. Um, it stands for Technology Education Design, uh, uh, and it's all about um, 
spreading world-changing ideas or spreading uh, good ideas worth spreading is what their tagline is. Um, and they invite, uh, you know, some of the most prominent people on the planet, uh, world leaders, politicians, um, uh, CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the world, uh, creative, scientists, artists, filmmakers. I mean, some of my favorite talks have been by uh, the actress uh, Sandy Newton, uh, uh, Nigerian writer Chimamanda Adichie, Bill Gates, Al Gore. I mean, this is the echelon of a speaker that comes to TED to uh, share what they do, but also share something about their observation of the world that makes them do what they do. It's not necessarily people talking about what they do. It's about why they do what they do, why they're passionate about it, and, and why it matters. And so um, – you know, I was always in awe of what Ted did and the people who were there, and I, ha I was part of their fan club, you know, for quite some time before I, uh, you know, ever thought I would be part of the network. And so when they reached out to me, you know, at first I was in disbelief. Um, the Ted Fellows program is, is highly competitive, as you can imagine. You get to go be a part of that community for free. Um, they all expenses paid um, as part of the fellowship program. And then as part of the senior fellowship program, you continue going back over and over and over and over again for a number of years. And so just to essentially grow up in the early part of my career and that community I, it taught me so much, but also having the opportunity to put my message out from the TED stage uh, was something that I, I, I literally uh, and figuratively wasn't ready for. Um, and so it has, I mean, I don't, mean this lightly when I say it changed my life for the better. Uh, you know, I would still be doing what I was doing um, if I hadn't been part of TED, but certainly being part of that community helped, uh, helped me make connections, helped me, um, you know, help raise my profile a bit, and helped put me out there in a way that I probably never would have been able to do on my own. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a phenomenal platform, and, and there are some you know, like you said, very esteemed people, just really unique uh, dialogues and conversations and presentations. And so do know that we will be um, tweeting and uh, texting and, and uh, sending out the URLs to your, your TED Talks. There's several of them on YouTube uh, for our audience if you want to jump the gun and go on Only the out good there ones. and see us. But, you know, one of your talks, for example, not an innovation, crowdsourcing and participation, um, you know, that, that's an example. Also, changing nations with data. That, that's a great segue. You've got another one on open data, uh, setting up mobile projects in Africa, uh, speech at uh, – that was a speech at the uh, Gap 9. But, but, you know, those are just some of those that, that, that you have posted out on YouTube. So, again, want people to continue to explore uh, some of the, the, the previous uh, conversations that you've had. But uh, let's talk about data. Data seems to be a, a passion of yours. Uh, I, I think you have listed in your bio as a data scientist, and I, and I love that. Talk to our audience, why data? Why is data important? Uh, so that is probably my favorite question to be asked. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I am very passionate about data. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with the term data scientist, essentially uh, data scientists combine the best worlds of visualization, so um, art and aesthetic, with, um, with statistics and with computer science programming. So those three things come together to help people think about the world and, and, and articulate what's going on, some sort of pattern or some sort of trend in the world through the lens of, of what we call data. And, you know, as many, whatever comes to mind when you think of data is what we're referring to. So uh, on one hand, data is information, but it's also the, um, the, the, the bits, the ones and zeros that help carry that information. There's also the... Um, there's also rich media, which is a type of data. So video, audio, text, all of, every, all of the above is data, right? And so the reason why uh, data, and you may have heard the term big data, has become so prevalent is because um, everyone deals with data on a daily basis now. I don't care if you 
don't have a smartphone and you just have a regular uh, feature phone, you're still dealing with data, right? The, the data that gets um, distributed over the cell phone towers. Or let's say you don't own a phone at all. All uh, TV in the United States now comes through a digital signal. That's a type of data. The content itself is a type of data. Um, and so this has presented all sorts of new challenges for people who have to make sense of this, this information and make sense of all of this data. On one hand, people have to store it. That's a challenge. Uh, you have to be able to analyze it and, and make sense of it. That's, that's a challenge. And then, two, you need to be able to push it out there as, as quickly as possible. So get your message out to people like this radio show is a type of data. Um, and so what I do um, mostly uh, when I'm not uh, doing the work that I do in Africa, although I, data is a huge issue there, uh, what I do is I work with uh, corporations, enterprises, to help them manage data problems in ways that, um, that give them insights uh, sometimes into their audiences or sometimes into um, who purchases their products and, and what the various trends are and how they can anticipate people's behavior based on the data that they collect about them. Um, the other reason why I'm very passionate about data is that if you think about it, data is information and information is power. Um, the, you know, if you think about the 20th century um, as the information age, it, I mean, that, that's very much true. What's evolved is, okay, what do we do with all of this information? And I think that's one of the defining problems of the 21st century is we're now moving into uh, like a post-information age where we have to deal with uh, an abundance of data, uh, abundance of information as opposed to uh, before it was all about accessibility. And so um, it, it's, it's really important to understand the implications of having all this information out there in not being aware that it's out there. For instance, there was an article I read this morning about um, all these vendors now trying to offer solutions to track citizens by their cell phones. So you can now track everywhere someone has been on the planet as long as they have a cell phone in their pocket, um, uh, mostly the smartphone. And, and so there's all these vendors popping up, helping corporations, sometimes um, for uh, uh, marketing purposes, sometimes it's for more nefarious purposes, sometimes it's for law enforcement reasons, but there is a rush to give uh, various buyers access to that particular type of data. And so making people aware of what's possible when they may not otherwise be tuned in is, um, I think, necessary. It's, it's only fair for citizens to know what they're giving up uh, by using all of, this, uh, all of these technologies that are out here these days. So uh, there's many reasons why I'm passionate about data. I would say uh, in uh, the, the, the few things I just mentioned, those are probably the top two or three. And, and so let's, let's now talk about, in, in your, your passion and, and understanding data and, and turning data into information in order to, to make decisions and, and um, to actually make prudent investments, let's talk about that because you're an, an investor as well. And, and um, tell us how you look at the, the data and the information you have and how did you determine some of the projects you've invested, both your, your time and your talent into? Sure. So uh, data certain pl certainly plays into um, making investment decisions. In fact, uh, one of the projects I'm working on right now is, is trying to help investors interpret information more effectively to help them make um, a wise investment decisions in emerging markets. But when it comes to my own investment, um, it's uh, very much uh, about three things. So one is, um, you know, I look at uh, – so on one hand, it is the data, right? So what's the market doing? What, what do I think the market wants? What type of products? What type of innovations? But on the other hand, there's, I think there's three more important things than, than just that, right? So uh, one is, is it the right idea? Um, two is, is it the right time for this idea? Uh, and three, is it the right team to tackle this, this, um, this idea or, or this, this uh, business? And so looking at those three things, I, I would say every business I've ever seen fail has lacked 
just one of them. You need all three, right? So you need to come along at the right time. The market has to be ready. Otherwise, it's a non-starter. Um, you have to have uh, the, right, the right idea, So, meaning you have to be working on something that is, um, is viable, uh, you know, investors, I don't know if you, uh, your audience may ha hear a lot of investors talk about moonshot ideas. So things like, uh, you know, Elon Musk, uh, SpaceX wants to mine asteroids and, and uh, he's building rockets to, 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 to do commercial flights to space. That's what you call a moonshot idea. It seems impossible. Yet, you know, here we have an example of a company that's making that work. Now, that's a great example of a moonshot idea. A bad example of a moonshot idea is something that is just so out, out there um, and the, the, the team doesn't seem to have the skill to make it happen um, and they can't articulate what that idea is. That, that makes it a bad investment, right? It's like you want to go with someone um, – to these kind of extraordinary places, help them build extraordinary businesses, but they need to be able to articulate their message in a way that allows you to, to you know, have the confidence that they're going to be able to pull it off. Um, so, you know, bringing it back just a bit to what I would say average startups or regular startups, um, you know, the same thing applies if you're trying to build a Facebook app or if you're trying to build uh, a video game or if you're trying to build the next, you know, Instagram, it doesn't matter. Like, can you credibly convince the investor you're talking to that you're the right person to pull that business off? Beyond that, is that um, idea sound to begin with? And then finally, is the market ready for it? Those, that's what I'm asking myself when I hear anyone talk. I get a lot of emails about, uh, about projects to work on um, to, to, to invest in companies. And, you know, every single time I, I, I'm thinking in my head, like, you know, this guy checks this box, he checks this box, but, you know, that last one, I'm not convinced. And so, uh, you know, I don't really get paid for this, but I still offer people advice. Like, if there's something that I, I feel about their business, I'll share that with them because I guarantee you they're going to come across someone else who's less patient who's not going to share why they didn't invest or why they chose not to talk to that particular entrepreneur. And so I like to share – what I'm thinking because when I was starting up, nobody was sharing that information with me. I kind of had to figure it out on my own and it was re it's really difficult to do the trial and error. So hopefully, you know, by offering people the feedback, it allows them to optimize what they're doing to, to become better entrepreneurs. No, absolutely. And, and I, again, our audience is so lucky to have you sharing with us. And, and I dare say that Technology Express, we've been very lucky that, you know, we simply reached out to you and, and you responded and um, you, you're opening up and sharing some valuable information and insight. And, uh, you know, as, as you were talking, I, I was thinking and hearing that when you're making your decisions, I hear the, you know, on the one hand, the art side and the, the visionary side and the creativity and, and you being able to hone in on that with the investments, but then there is the analytical side, the data scientist side, you know, marrying the, the, the facts and the probability and that type of thing together in order to make the, the, the best choices. And that, that's prudent advice whether you're the investor, but I also, you know, what you shared is for those people out there who have a bright idea and want to go sell it. People time and time again, you know, talk about they're looking for an, an investor, um, or an angel investor, somebody that will give them some seed money, that type of thing. But are they coming with the, those three criteria that you talked about in order to sell their idea? The, the, just having one of the three, just like you said, isn't enough. And so, um, so I, I hope on yeah. both ends that our audience was able to glean a lot from what you just said. Yeah, uh, just so, touching on that uh, that last little bit. Um, the other thing young entrepreneurs need to, I, I think, um, would be uh, prudent for them to do is know the investor before they reach out to them. I get a lot of emails from people where if literally if you just read my page or if you did some research, 
you would know that I'm not interested in, you know, investing in a restaurant, right? Um, you know, I might be, I mean, like one-off chance, but the likeliest scenario is I'm looking for tech investments. But there are investors out there that are looking for restaurants. And so if you segment investors before you reach out to them, you're actually putting yourself in a much better position to be able to convert those investors into supporters. The first thing that I feel when someone reaches out and it's like something that I'm just – so obviously not interested in i'm like well did they even do any research like it undermines whether they're the best person in the world at whatever it is they do it undermines my confidence in their ability to just know their audience and that's something that's critical when you're pitching investors at great point great point thank you so much for that so let's talk about some of you particularly like investing in the african and emerging markets Talk to us, you know, that, that, that chance opportunity that you took to travel over there, it, it apparently left a, a mark on, on you and has uh, been kind of a recurring theme, got you the exposure to TED. And, and that's something that I often speak to, to young people. If you have the opportunity, explore, especially in this global, you know, economy and world, um, try and Absolutely. try things that are different. Explore other cultures. So tell us about your experience and, and, and your advice around that. Well, so I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Like, explore the world. Travel. Don't be afraid to get outside of your comfort zone. People talk a lot about the lack of economic opportunity here in the United States. Well, we live on a big planet. So if, if there's nothing for you in, in Georgia, if there's nothing for you in, you know, the United States, start thinking about the opportunities that are out there because I guarantee you young people in those other countries are doing just that, and they're finding these opportunities at a very young age in other parts of the world that, that you would never even think of. The youngest, uh, one of the wealthiest people in Uganda is, uh, is about my age, uh, and he's a billionaire. He's, he's much wealthier than I am. Um, he's uh, 31, I think, um, Ashish Takar, who built a business called Mara Group. Um, he's Indian, but he lives in Uganda. He built this business there and uh, is spread out across Africa, mostly in real estate, and has been able to uh, reach a level of wealth that most people will never um, achieve in many lifetimes, much less this one. <laughs> so um, it, my point there is, is, you know, he didn't do that in his own country. He did that in a different country, right? He found an opportunity. He, and sometimes it's not going knowing what the opportunity is. It's because you're there that you see the opportunity. When I started Africa, I didn't go to Uganda because I knew that Africa was a great market. While I was there, I was like, wait a minute. This isn't like anything I see on TV at all. It's like a city, just like it would be anywhere else. Um, there's, you know, uh, probably uh, more cars per capita in Africa than uh, maybe anywhere else except India. And so, you know, vibrant middle class, growing middle class, and it was just exciting. I, I can't tell you, that in, and even to this day, I still feel the same amount of excitement when I'm on the ground in Africa. But there's some really practical reasons, um, you know, beyond the feel good that I, I, that make Africa a good market, in my opinion. One it's um, the biggest opportunity in the world, right? The continent is nearly three times the size of the United States. You could fit both the United States, China, and most of Europe into Africa and still have some land left over. It's huge, right? So literally the biggest opportunity in the world, uh, particularly because it's so underdeveloped. And so when you have guys like Ashish Takar doing real estate, you can see how that translates to billions of dollars. Um, the the second thing about Africa is that it's got some of the fastest GDP growth in the world right now. Up until 2010, most economies in the world, including our own, were uh, slowing down or had stagnated to about 1% to 2% growth, um, uh, maybe 1% to 3% in, in, in Europe. Um, Africa, throughout that entire time, and before and since, has maintained growth levels of between 3 and 6%. Um, and as high as 10% in some countries. And that's just crazy growth that you don't see in the developed world. The problem in the developed world is you have a very healthy middle class. You have very affluent societies. Uh, things are safe. It's, it's, everything is kind of normalized. We've reached peak 
uh, America or peak Europe or, or, you know, like the economies are doing good and it's really hard to push the needle. When it comes to Africa, um, many countries are coming from uh, a very different place. They're really changing um, the nature of society. Things are more peaceful. Uh, you know, people are urbanizing rapidly, which means they're moving into the cities um, at, a, at a, a surprising rate. And all of that is growth. And all of that translates to if you can find the right investment opportunity, um, you will do pretty well in Africa. Now, the question that you have to ask yourself, in, especially in emerging markets, is those same th- three things I talked about before. Um, you know, your idea might be sound, but is it the right time and is it the right team, right? So you have to be the type of person who's willing to get on a plane and go and experience another call prejudice, meaning just – I don't mean that, um, you know, in a disparaging light, but without preconceptions um, and just absorb, right? You have to learn from what you see around you, and then that will inform you about what to do. It will inform your ideas, and it will let you know whether the timing is right, right? I've tried several – things in Africa that I'm certain will work at some point, but maybe I was too early or maybe I wasn't the right person to pull it off. Uh, but, you know, that's entrepreneurship, right? You keep trying to find that one thing that's going to work. You try many different things until you find the one way that, that was meant to happen. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and um, now you, you've experienced phenomenal, you know, success compared to, to others who dream of someday, you know, being a part of things like, like TED and, and the accolades, you know, from the, the, the different press and recognition. But let's talk about maybe some of the things that you did try, and, and, and we don't have to talk about the, the pain parts, but what, did you, what are some of the, the biggest lessons you learned from some of your trial and error experiences or from some of your, your past initiatives? Um, I've learned so much. I mean, uh, so, lots of, so for anyone who has succeeded at anything has failed at a lot. I mean, that's one thing that I've learned. I meet people uh, from every walk of life, from every level of wealth and every level of poverty. And, you know, the ones who um, are successful at anything will all be happy to tell you about the things that they weren't successful with, um, at least in my, my case. Um, when it, uh, I guess some things that I learned is, one, is communication is probably the one thing that, that kills most relationships, whether it's your relationship with an investor, your relationship with your audience, if you're a company that has a product, or your relationship as an individual with the people around you. So uh, in, in a startup, that's no different, right? Uh, many companies fail simply because the founders, the staff aren't communicating well. That's, that's definitely lesson number one. I've had to become a much better communicator as a leader and as an employee. And, you know, it's not always perfect, but you're, you're constantly learning. The other thing that is really important is, um, um, you know, I've learned how to uh, let people fail uh, gracefully and let people fail um, uh, patiently. So uh, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, and I don't feel it's fair to, to write someone off because they failed at one thing because, you know, our lives are made up of many opportunities, and that one thing may not have been for you, but many other things will be. And so I try to, you know, share that message with the entrepreneurs I work with. It's like, yes, this didn't work, but keep doing what you're doing, and you'll figure it out. You'll figure out what the thing is that works for you. Absolutely, absolutely. So now, since I, I gave you the tough question, I'll give you the, the next one is, what are you excited about? What are you working on now? What's, what's your passion right now? Um, well, we talked a lot about TED. So, uh, one of the, so coming up in Brazil, I'll be giving another TED Talk um, in October about um, the – so there's a lot of talk these days about inequality. Um, and most people, when they talk about inequality, they're talking about wealth. Well, there is also another gap forming. Um, you know, some people call it the d- digital divide. Uh, there's many names for it. But there's an inequality of social and, and political power that's related to, technology, to, uh, related to technology. So if you have a certain level of affluence, you have a certain 
access to types of technologies that you can use to benefit yourself. If you don't have that level of affluence, you don't have access to those technologies. So the world becomes very different, a very different level of haves and have-nots that's not just related to wealth. Because tech, you know, as we talked about at the top of the conversation, isn't just technology. It's not just an app. It's not just, you know, it's not just um, – uh, communication. It's also an experience. It's a culture. And so if you don't grow up in that world of technology, you grow up in a very different world from people. And then if the world favors people who do when they have the jobs and they have the money, then it's just an exacerbating problem. And so that's something that I'm talking about is that, that particular uh, message uh, to put out there because it's not one that I've heard a lot about. Um, and then the other things that I'm working on, various startups, various technologies, um, uh, companies that I've I've had the fortune of being able to the the pleasure of being able to invest in and it's, it's exciting. Um, I just launched a new fund called Third Cohort Capital. Um, that's thirdcohort.com. Um, and you know some of the the companies that we're coming across there are really exciting. Very cool, very cool. And to our audience, please visit gosier dot org. Um, again, and, and correct me if I'm pronouncing it, uh, and maybe I'll let you pronounce it, and tell people how they can get in contact <laughs> with you. Yeah, well, it's a slight mispronunciation, but it's okay. I don't split hairs. It's uh, John Gossier, um, and uh, you can reach me at gossier.org or uh, thirdcohort.com. Excellent, excellent, very good. Now, let's just also talk about um, – there is also um, something else that, that you're passionate about, as I, I read through your biography. A Goldman Sachs uh, 10,000 small business graduates. Can you talk about that and share that um, with our audience? So the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program is an uh, initiative that was founded by Goldman Sachs to um, work with small businesses to help them become uh, the, the founders of small businesses to help them become more, better um, uh, managers, better uh, entrepreneurs, better founders. Um, I went through that program, you know, because as a so one of the things, you know, when you talk about failure, is um, you know, being able to recognize your own faults is not a bad thing. And so as an entrepreneur, you know, particularly one who was self-taught on both the business and the technology side, being a technology business person, you know, I spent a lot of time investing in uh, my understanding of, of code and uh, – sorry, there's a siren going by. Um, uh, I spent a lot of time uh, investing in myself to learn code, taking courses, teaching myself, watching videos. And I realized at some point, um, maybe two years ago, that I hadn't done the same on the business side. And so I applied to the Goldman Sachs program to uh, become uh, a better, uh, better on the business side, better on accounting and, and the, the fiscal side. And so uh, the, 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 their program takes some of the best practices from Babson uh, Business School, and it puts you through a, a very rigorous uh, eight-week course where you are actually 12 week course where you um, go back to basics on accounting on um, you know valuation on all these uh, uh, things that you need to know as, a, as someone who owns a business to help you uh, uh, build your own business and the, the best thing about that program is unlike going back to school for an MBA one it doesn't require you to take any time out from your your uh, your your, your uh, business that you run uh, it also doesn't require you to, um, you know, use this kind of theoretical examples. You actually learn using your own business as an example. Oh, very cool, very cool. So more people need to, to know about and to, to look into Goldman Sachs, that's G-O-L-D-M-A-N and S-A-C-H-S. Um, and, again, there will be more of that information posted on technologyexpresso.com, or you can also Google it as well. Um, and let's talk about staying current and up. Information is always changing, and you yourself, you know, with the investments that you do, um, you, always, you, you kind of got to stay ahead. How do you keep yourself up? You, clearly you, you do 
like to invest in your own, you know, uh, professional. And, and I love the fact when you said that you, you found that maybe you were um, honing in on the technology side and maybe that's something that uh, you enjoyed more. But then when you found that you needed to balance that out, you, you went ahead and you um, went to Goldman Sachs. And that's something that we often tell people. Sometimes you've got to lean into your discomfort because um, I think people think that they can become, a, you know, take on the label of entrepreneur, and that means that every day is going to be fun and you only do what you want to do. But clearly it's a lot more to that. So what would you say to aspiring entrepreneurs about keeping yourself uh, up to date and even uh, ahead of the game, staying ahead of the game. Um, well, so I'll I'll answer those. Uh, I'll touch on those kind of in reverse order. So one of the things you talked about there was, um, you know, it's not always, uh, you know, uh, you know, dandelions and roses being an entrepreneur. Um, that that's very true, right? So um, one of the things that you have to recognize is doing anything in the world. Um, you know, in order to get really good at it, there's some, discom- some level of discomfort. You know, if you go to the gym and you work out, you know, for an hour, two hours, whatever, you come back, the next day you're sore. Entrepreneurship is no different. You're doing something that is, li- like, the definition is you're doing something no one else has done before in a way that no one else has done it before. Um, you're trying to start, you know, something from, well, in the most cases of entrepreneurship that I'm referring to, you're trying to start something from scratch. You know, not, uh, you don't have a guidebook. You don't have a manual to, to be an entrepreneur. So you're trying to figure it out. And so there's going to be a lot of discomfort. And for a lot of people, that's the first barometer uh, that you can kind of measure yourself against to see, is this for me or do I want to go back to solving problems for other people. So technically for other entrepreneurs who have started and succeeded, and now I can go work for them and have a nice job. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, So you have to be really honest with yourself as an entrepreneur. Is this world for me? Especially when you're starting out and especially when it's really tough. The other thing that um, you have to be aware of is things could be going really well for a long time and then they could go horribly wrong. And that does not mean that you're a failed entrepreneur. Uh, the only thing that will make you, you know, make some people question whether you're, um, you know, a successful entrepreneur or not, or were, is if you stop, right? And then they'll look at where you were when you stopped, and they'll say, oh, well, you know, your business was up here and it was down there. You aren't a great entrepreneur. Now, I wouldn't internalize that. I'd be like, no, I left that business because, you know, for whatever reason, I chose to leave it. Um, and you have to start to make those sorts of arguments to yourself. It's like, why am I, you know, why am I going to continue to push through this? Is that a good business decision or is it not? If it's not, there's nothing wrong with walking away and starting something else. If it is, if it is going, or if you still believe in it and you don't want to walk away and you make it through what uh, investor Fred Wilson calls the trough of sorrow because things can get so bad, um, through the other side, sometimes you can succeed to the point that you, you know, to a level that you never thought of uh, being possible before. And so, you know, just because things are bad doesn't mean you quit is all I'm trying to say. Um, And so for the first part of that question, um, uh, I I actually forget what the first part was, but I think that's – two points worth noting, which is, you know, there is, there's literally no, no gain without pain. And, you know, if you push through that um, pain, you never know what you'll accomplish on the other side. No, absolutely. You, you clearly, you've answered both parts of, of that, that question. And, and it's such a, a valid point because, um, you know, there's, you have to, what they say, know when to fold them and, and walk away. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes it, you, you get in it, it's the right time, you, you ride that wave, and then sometimes that's just a learning opportunity to take you to where you really are, you know, need to be, where your space is and, and the time and place you need to be. So yeah, absolutely, and, and I love a lot of people are embracing what they call serial entrepreneurs. So it's not a bad connotation anymore. Um, it just means that you're, you're kind of working it from a lot of different angles um, and, and looking at the, the different opportunities. Because I dare say, with technology and with the technology sector, the world changes so fast. It changes overnight. You go to sleep. It's like sometimes I think that's why people are addicted to Twitter, because if you go to sleep, you don't know what you're going to miss, and, and you wake up tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, there's a whole other strand of, you know, uh, information that is, is coming through. So 
it, it, it's, uh, you know, just that, that's the key. And um, thank you for the, those words of encouragement. And, you know, as we've well, been to, looking to, at our – to your point at, there – uh, sorry, I was Absolutely. just going to say to your point there. So um, I think that was the first part of the question before, which is how do you stay on top of all of this stuff? And um, so one, you can't worry about missing out, right? So there's just there. Uh, we talked about um, earlier in the conversation. There's just so much information out there. There's an abundance of information. So not having it all is the default. Having a little bit more than everyone else is a choice, but, you know, if you feel like you're constantly left out, you're constantly playing catch-up, trying to keep up with all the news and social media, that's, that's the point. <laughs> you know, we're living in a world where uh, information is cheap and free and accessible, and so don't let that cause anxiety. Um, but what I would say is how you stay on top of all of this stuff is you have to have a healthy level of curiosity and uh, passion for uh, – something, right? So it could be a passion for learning. It could be a passion for learning about a specific thing. It could be a passion for just having the impetus no one else does. But you need to find what makes you comfortable in, um, in, in the staying on top of things that works for you. There, there's no one way to do it. You do it in the way that you can sustain and that helps you, that benefits you, right? Like that's, that's the only benefit to being on top of lots of different uh, for myself, as a lot of different programming languages or a lot of different technologies, I know the things about knowing that stuff that helps me. Um, and, you know, I look for, you know, I'm always looking for new technologies. I'm always looking to be taught about what's the next big thing, right? And, you know, sometimes I write it off. Like, I was not a big believer in Bitcoin, but I was wrong about that, <laughs> you know? So you make these assumptions about what's going to work and what's not. And, you know, you know being able to call something, recognize you were wrong, and learn from it is, is, a, necessi uh, is a necessity. Um, so having that level of curiosity is important. So true, so true. So, so let me ask you, do you have any, do you have mentors or do you have any particular person that you looked up to or even pattern yourself after, or are you just writing the script from scratch? Well, I would say both. <laughs> so I look to people who um, there's something about them that I admire. Um, no one actually in my life, but inspirations um, who, uh, you know, in some cases I've met them, in some cases I haven't. Um, and then on, on the other hand, you know, writing the book from scratch, I think everyone's writing their own book from scratch, whether they, they recognize it or not. Um, so the people that I look up to, um, the late Steve Jobs, uh, especially him blending the world of art and design and technology so well, um, is uh, is something that you know I respected a lot while he was alive and since. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, the author of books like The Tipping Point and Blink, um, he is someone who's um, way to analyze things and ways of breaking things down uh, for the mass market is, is, is exciting. I always get, uh, literally get excited when he has a new book out, I rush to the store, get it. Um, I, something about his writing just speaks to me, I, probably because I'm very analytical. Um, uh, you know, my, my mother is someone who I look up to. Um, I know that's kind of cheesy, but, you know, being a single mother and, and you know, having the, the foresight before computers were a thing to, to invest in this unknown resource, not just for herself, but also because it would shape my education and my future. Um, you know, that's uh, something I hope I have the same foresight about whatever's next because it won't be computers in the future. It'll be something else. Right. And so um, it, I guess those are the people that come to mind, people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, he's a, uh, not even in my sphere, uh, he's more of a, a um, physicist uh, and an astronomer, but his ability to pioneer in a space that uh, previously not a lot of people looked like him is something that I look up to. Absolutely, absolutely. So let me, so, um, and again, um, I'm curious, there are parents who might be listening, and they're wondering, how do I you know, raise a tech superstar. 
What, what type of advice and suggestions do you have, maybe some of the things that your, your mom did with you as, as you gave your, your shout-out and, and recognized your mother? But um, what would you say, and just across the board, to, to families about young people and them getting and, and finding this, this space that's ripe with opportunity and, and, again, like I said, raising tech superstars? Um, so I'll, I'll repeat something I said earlier, which is it's all it's it's less about facts and 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 research and and you know taking courses, and it's more about culture. It's a culture of being able to to challenge um, the status quo, of being able to uh, fail and and start over and not be defeated by your failures, and it's a culture of just being in the culture of 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 technology and of of innovative things. Um, you know, when you think about some of the, the most successful entrepreneurs of our time, it's not really about their level of intelligence uh, in, the, in regards to IQ. It's more social intelligence and culture that sets them apart. I'll give you a really good example. The guy who created um, Tumblr, David Karp, is not a great programmer. I mean, he's a, a probably a good programmer, but he's more of a designer. He's more of a, of a, of a graphic designer, uh, creative type, right, and less of a computer scientist. Um, he built a company that sold for $900 million to Yahoo before, they, before he turned 30. He was probably 26 when the company sold. Um, so, I mean, you have to ask yourself, what about this young kid who wasn't especially great at technology, um, but who built a, a massively sec- – a massively successful technology business and took it to exit, what was about him that was different from everybody else? It's not necessarily the type of intelligence we always think about. I would argue it's more about his social skills, his ability to manage people, and his ability to share a vision about what he wanted to create. And in this case, it happened to be this technology business, and it happened to be incredibly successful. I think that same logic could be applied to anything uh, or any young person, is if you teach them to work well with people, communicate, and, and, and chase their visions, uh, they can translate that to uh, success in almost any field. But particularly in the case of technology, it doesn't have to be the tech itself that you're great at. There's many ways to succeed in tech. Thank you so much. And, 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 and I'm looking back and I'm gloating here because I think that I named tonight's episode perfectly. <laughs> I named it when John Garcia <laughs> speaks, people listen and, and find out why. And if you've been listening for the last 55 minutes or so, you'll know why. I mean, we covered a range of topics, and I just thank you for your, your openness and, and willing to, to share and, and um, you know, give insight on so many different areas, but just making it so tangible. I mean, when someone reads your bio, you know, you might expect someone else, you know, maybe even an elitist, but you just are so accessible and and, and have shared, you know, just from the heart and passionately. And I know I've enjoyed this this last hour and our audience as well. And I, I just want to summarize for them, uh, just recap. We've been talking with John Gossier. He's an African-American software developer, investor, philanthropist. He was named um, number one of the top African tech voices to follow on Twitter by CNN and um, one of the 25 most influential African-Americans in technology by the Business Insider. He was awarded a TED Fellowship in 2009, and then later uh, TED Senior Fellowship, and then as well as in 2013 was nominated as one of the Innovators of the Year by Black Enterprise Magazine, and and, and so much more that we can expect from you. And I, I can't thank you enough for sharing this time with us on the eve on a very momentous occasion, an achievement that's coming up, your, your wedding. So congratulations on that and to your new bride. Um, enjoy a well-deserved uh, honeymoon and, and some time off. But we look forward to reconnecting. We will be looking for you at the Brazil TED Talk um, and just so much more. But, again, well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for um responding to our invitation, 
And just this is the beginning. Our mic is always open to you whenever you want to come back and, and share and give us an update and, and more insight. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, this is literally the last bit of work I'll be doing for the next <laughs> two weeks. So I'm excited uh, to participate, and hopefully uh, you guys um, will have me back at some point. Uh, much success to you. Thank you so much. And with that, we're going to say good night. And, again, continue the conversation. We'll be on Twitter as well as Facebook, and we'll be supplying links so that you can continue and connect with John Gossier, as well as follow his blog and him on Twitter. Um, so, again, we're glad that we could bring this to our audience. And with that, we end tonight's show and say good night. Thank you from Technology Expresso. Good night. Bye. You can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.